What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. Featuring the expository preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to maybe minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. So Saul had been king for about two years. When he first became king, he had to fight that evil king Nahash, or Nakash, the snake, the Ammonite king who was trying to overthrow him, and he met him head on. Well, about two years into Saul's reign, another old foe reared its head. An old foe that had been a thorn in the side of Israel for many, many years. You know who that was? That was the Philistines. And they came roaring back with raiding parties into Israel. And they were trying to hurt them. And they even established a small army, a small garrison there in Israel. And so Israel had to react. And so Saul calls the army, blows the horn, and calls all of Israel to show up. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we hear the story of what happens next. And what happens next is that 3,000 men of Israel show up. 3,000, that's quite a bit. And 2,000 go with Saul while a thousand go with Jonathan, his son. And for the first time, out of nowhere, we meet this amazing man named Jonathan. This man is a godly man, and he has some cool stories coming up in the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to hear some great things about him, but I just want you to know, he just shows up here, and he is... Saul's son. But the cool thing about Jonathan is that he loved Yahweh. And he followed the Lord religiously as best he could. But the other cool thing about Jonathan is that he was a military genius. He was a smart man militarily. He was a strategist. He wasn't afraid to attack. He knew what he wanted to do. He was probably a better military leader than his dad. So when Saul took 2,000 of the men, remember, 3,000 showed up. 
So Saul took 2,000 of them to a town called Michmash, while Jonathan took 1,000 of them to a town in the tribe of Benjamin called Gibeah. Well, like I said, Jonathan, he was a smart man. He didn't just wait around for the Philistines to attack. No, he attacked first. He attacked the Philistines at a town called Geba, or Geba. And he defeated them. He took his men right in there and defeated a garrison of the Philistines right there at Geba, or Geba. And Saul was excited. And this was great to hear. And so it says that Saul blew the trumpet, wanted everybody to know that Saul defeated the Philistines. Was it Saul? No, it was Jonathan. Jonathan was the one who defeated the Philistines, not Saul, but Saul took all the credit. I mean, why didn't he say, hey, my son did it? Why didn't he let his son have his moment in the sun? Why did he take all the credit? I think we're starting to look a little bit here at the heart of Saul. Well, good news for Israel, right? Well, sort of good news, but right behind it came some bad news. Because when the Philistines heard what happened, it says that the Philistines there in 1 Samuel 13, they showed up at Michmash, right where Saul's army was. But they didn't just show up with 2,000 to match their army, no. It says there that they showed up with 30,000 chariots. 30,000 chariots. That's like showing up with 30,000 tanks today. or that, that would have been one of the biggest weapons back then. To have chariots meant that you could swoop in with the horses pulling the chariots. And you could have a man on there shooting as he comes blundering and thundering through your, your line. and Or often sometimes they would be on the side and the men would lead. But then you'd have these chariots swooping in from the side and they would just slash in with their swords. This was scary stuff. Israel didn't have that. And here... The Philistines show up with 30,000 chariots? And it says they also show up with 6,000 horsemen. And it says they look like the sand on the seashore. That's how many it looked. I mean, it looked incredibly frightening. So Saul blows the horn for the army to muster. Like I said before, he had about 3,000 total. Well, the men of Israel, they showed up. But when they saw the Philistines and how many there were, it says they showed up, but their knees were trembling. It says that the people tremblingly followed Saul. And when they saw all the Philistines, well, they started to get nervous. Like I said, to have chariots, that's like tanks. To have that sort of firepower, that's incredibly scary, especially when you don't have it. So you know what the people did? 
the mighty men who fight for Israel, they ran away and hid. They began to desert. The longer Saul waited to attack, more and more of his army said they hid in caves, they hid in holes. They even left the country and crossed the Jordan and joined another country. They ran away. Now, the question is, why are they waiting? Why aren't they jumping into battle? Well, one of the reasons they're waiting is because they're waiting to be blessed. They're waiting to offer a sacrifice to Yahweh, and they're waiting for Samuel to show up to do this. Samuel, the high priest, is the only one that can do this. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And so Saul is waiting for Samuel, and as he waits for him, he starts to get anxious. He starts to get nervous. And he starts to feel like, I don't know, will Samuel show up? And then as he starts to see his men run away, he he thinks, I've got to do something. I can't just let this happen. I I had 3,000 men here. I I can't. They're they're starting to desert. Oh, well, the third day or the fourth day, finally, he's like, I'm going to just take care of it myself. I'll do it. And so he grabs a bull and he acts like a priest And he sacrifices a bull to God. But the thing is, he can't do that. What Saul did was a major transgression. Only a priest could sacrifice to Yahweh, not the king. The king is not the priest. This was a major transgression. And then the other thing is, as Samuel, as Saul is sacrificing, guess who shows up? Samuel. And when Saul hears that, uh, he gets nervous and, and, and he runs out to Samuel and says, hey, hey, and it says that Saul blesses Samuel. Again, he's acting like a priest. Only a priest could bless in that way. Not Saul. And I'm sure that took Samuel aback. And he's like, what's happening? And then he finds out that Saul, that Saul has been sacrificing, pretending to be a priest. And I think at that point... If Saul had repented and said, I am sorry, I just got nervous, people were leaving, please forgive me, and repented to Yahweh, I wonder if things were different. But instead, we see an unrepentant Saul. Instead, he makes excuses. He says, well, you didn't come within the days you were supposed to come. And it's true, Samuel didn't show up on time. Maybe that was wrong of Samuel. I don't know. But instead of trusting God, he just took things in his own hands. Well, well, things weren't happening in the right way, the way they were supposed to. So I had to do something. And and then also he's passing blame on to Samuel. It's your fault. You're the one who did this to me. If you had showed up on time, none of this would have happened. He's blaming Samuel. He's not 
taking responsibility for the mistakes he made. And then he says, the people have scattered. The people, the, the, the troops were running away. He's blaming other people. It's everybody else's fault. It's Samuel's fault. It's the army's fault. Saul, you're the one who decided to become a priest. You're the one who did something you were never allowed to do. You're the one who made a major spiritual transgression. You know, I want to say, if, if, if you've made a mistake, and you know, you're caught in that mistake, and everybody knows it, our first instinct is to blame other people, isn't it? Well, it's not my fault. Uh, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's, it's your fault. You never say that it's my fault. I just want to encourage you. The first thing you should do is own up. Admit where you were wrong. Take the, take the blame. Say, you know what? This was my fault. And if it was somebody else's fault, you can admit that and bring that in. But at first, at least say, this is where I went wrong too often. We push blame on other people instead of owning up. And if Saul had just done that... But instead, he blames other people, which reveals his heart. And Samuel stops. He looks Saul in the eye. And he shakes his head. And he says, you have done foolishly. And that word, that idea of you have done foolishly is an, oh, you just made a mistake. No, it's the sense of emphatically stating you've done bad. What you did was an affront to Almighty God. And then Samuel says to Saul, you know what? The kingship would have never left your house. If you had done right and just obeyed the Lord, the lineage of being king would have been passed down to your sons and to their sons. And your name would have been established forever. But instead, because you chose foolishly, and basically he, he shook a fist in the face of God, you can't mess around with the stuff that honors God. He should never have done that. He knew the rules but he didn't care. He's more concerned about himself. And he never repented and asked forgiveness. No. And instead, Samuel says, because you did this, the kingship, the lineage, the right to be king is going to leave your house. And it's going to be passed on to someone else. And... Get this. It's going to be passed on to someone else who has a heart after God. I'm going to pass it on to someone else who is a man after my own heart. Because you're not Saul. Yahweh says, I want to find a man who is after my own heart, and I'm going to pass the kingship, the right to be king, onto that man who is a man after my own heart. And what that means is, I want to find somebody who is loyal to Yahweh. 
who has a heart for Yahweh, who has a heart for me as his God and his king, a man after God's own heart. I want somebody who is loyal to me. They may not be perfect in everything they do. They will fail. But when they fail, they're loyal to me and they come back and say, I'm sorry. When they fail and when they sin, they come back to me and they say, you know, I'm not going to follow this other God. I am so sorry. Instead, I'm going to come back to you and follow you, Yahweh, as best I can. When they go into battle, their heart is attuned to God. A man after his own heart, a man loyal to Yahweh. That's where I'm going to find that king. And it's not you, Saul. You failed. I wonder what Saul felt like. The thing is, the army is at Michmash. But Saul is at another town east of Michmash called Gilgal. And Gilgal is where Saul was crowned king and he should be more with the army. And he's sort of upset that they're deserting, but they're miles away and he's not even with them. Jonathan is with them. He's still at the spot. Saul is still at Gilgal where he was crowned king. Some people think he was just reveling in the fact two years later that I am king. Well, Saul, he goes to Michmash. And remember, originally they had 3,000 men who came to fight for Israel. 3,000 men, yes! Well, Saul gets to Michmash and he counts the troops. And you know how many he has? 600. That's all that's left. 600 men. 600 men, the rest had run off, had hidden caves, had run away to other countries, and now he's only got 600. And he's facing the Philistines, who had 30,000 chariots. And that's not even mentioning the troops. It said they were as many as the sand of the sea. Israel is 600. The Philistines have 30,000 plus. The odds aren't in Israel's favor at this point. And on top of that, Saul's just realized he failed spiritually and now the kingship's going to leave him. And does he really want to lead this troop into battle? And he's not spiritually the right man for this. What's going to happen? How are 600 Israeli troops going to take on 30,000 Philistines? Well, I just want to say, if you come back next week, we're going to find out how Jonathan took on that army. But I just want to say, as we end this week's podcast, two things. Number one, when you fail, own up. When you sin, take responsibility So many people pass off the responsibility and blame other people and blame others for their failures. Don't do it. Own it. And then number two, I would like you to think about this. Am I a man or a woman after God's own heart? 
Am I a boy or a girl after God's own heart? Ask yourself, am I loyal to Jesus? Do I do my best to obey what he's written in his word? John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what the Bible says. And I just want to encourage you. Are you a man after God's own heart? Yes, you're going to fail. You're not going to be perfect. But you know what sometimes I do when I fail and I sin horribly? I pray, Lord, forgive me. And then I say, Lord, you are my God. I'm going to follow you the rest of my days. I will not bow the knee again to any other God. And sometimes when, when I sin and I give in to temptation or I do something I shouldn't have, that is a way of giving in to other gods. I choose myself. I, I choose other things that pull me away, other little G gods, and I have to remind myself, no. I want to be a man after God's own heart. Forgive me for sinning, Lord. And I reestablish that you're my God, and I'm going to follow you, Jesus. You have my believing loyalty. I put my trust in you and you alone. Let's all be men and women after God's own heart. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.